Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today? Doing well, Sean. How are you doing? Hanging in there, Derek. Uh, midweek here, uh, Kentucky coming off a two-game winning streak versus Georgia and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, the first true road win of the season. We recapped everything uh, Tuesday night, so if you haven't listened to that episode, be sure to go back and do so. Uh, that filled the the gap for Wednesday's episode. So we're back here on Thursday to record a basketball mailbag. Derek, we don't have a lot of questions in this one. It, it might have been the timing. I put the tweet out late last night, I think at 1014. I uh, probably should have retweeted it this morning. Uh, but we do have some questions to talk about, we'll, some general discussion. I'm sure we'll dip into some some things that maybe have come up with numbers and stuff that I found the last couple of days. And I know you've got some notes already on Tennessee that you texted me earlier, one note. Uh, so we're right in the middle of that, and then tomorrow we will get on here and we'll preview Kentucky-Tennessee. Rick Barnes, there's no denying that Rick Barnes at, at Tennessee has done a very good job against Kentucky, better than uh, looking at the numbers. I think even better than Bruce Pearl um, did against Kentucky. I'm, yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Um, kind of surprised me just given how how well Barnes has done. Um, Tennessee has not won more than three straight games against Kentucky in over 40 years, yeah. which surprised me a little bit just because, I mean, because, you know, Tennessee had a couple of years, uh, or at least one year for sure, the Shea Gilgis Alexander year, they swept Kentucky in the regular season. Um, and then, of course, Kentucky beat Tennessee in the SEC championship game. But uh, then even last year, if you go back to one of the last games Kentucky played before the coronavirus uh, shut down the world, they had that big comeback win against Kentucky and Rupp Arena. And then they defeated Kentucky again in Rupp in 2021 before UK played a really good game last year uh, in Thompson Bowling Arena. Probably the best game they played all season, honestly, it was. Uh, to beat Tennessee. So um, that was just an interesting note, I thought. And again, of course, they won't be going for a third straight win or anything because Kentucky won the last game they played. But um, these two teams, Sean, have, have, I think they've played more than they've played 232 times in, in Kentucky's history. And UK's won 67% of those games. So even though Barnes has done a pretty good job uh, historically, this is a series that uh very heavily favored. I think Kentucky's beat Tennessee more than any other program, right? Which they've probably played more times. They have, yeah. Other program as well. That's yeah, played a lot of basketball games. I don't have yeah. the exact number on that series, but uh, it's been a lot. And uh, in recent years, it's been very, very competitive. Uh, so I, I, I don't know what the line will be Saturday. Uh, do you, do you see Kentucky? I don't, I don't see Kentucky being a, a home underdog. Do you? No, no, I don't think so. It, it'll be close though. It'll be probably UK about four or five. I would guess that's, I was going to say somewhere in three to five is what I thought where I think it will be. It'll be a competitive line uh, for sure, but let's jump right into this mailbag and, and Derek, we're going to have some questions. I know about Shaden Sharp and, and whether he, if we think he should play or if we think he will play, he does have a jersey number now, number 21. I correctly guessed that the other day, and I have no idea how. I just <laughs> I just threw a stab at it and, and got it right. Uh, but let's jump right into this, and let's talk about this three-guard lineup. So Trend Trader says, what do you make of Cal's comments wanting to play with three guards? They've they've been they've played with three guards, you know, a lot of times. Like when the normal starting lineup is out there, Derek, it's been Savir – it's been Kellen Grady. It's been Ty Ty Washington. Those are three guards. In the past, it was Tyrese Maxey, Ashton Hagens, Emmanuel Quickly. Those were the best players on the team that year. 
and and things. That was their best option. And I, I think the comments, though, the way that he said it, that they're they're kind of they're better in that. I think that's what I take away from it. Is he he? I think he sees how good they are when they do go to a three guard lineup and they don't play a key on at the three or a topping at the three. Will we still see those lineups though when Sabir comes back? I don't think we should at any point, honestly. Yeah, and I think in particular those three guys who they've had to play with, with Xavier out, Grady, uh, Mintz, and Washington, all three guys who have uh, the ability to really score from anywhere on the court, uh, definitely the three best uh, statistics, I guess, this year, definitely the three best three-point shooters. You would think Dante, um, given what he showed last year, you know, could could be in the discussion. I think C.J. Frederick would as well had he been healthy this year. But, of course, uh, Dante really struggled at times this year. So for the current options, a guy like Cal wants to play, those are your three best options from deep. And, uh, you know, Savir for all the good things he can bring to a team outside shooting is not one of those. So I think those three guys in particular, um, I really like them playing together, but yeah, like you said, with them playing three guards, I mean, the 2017 team with Fox, Mock and Briscoe, yeah. that was a three guard oriented lineup. Um, and then the year before that with Tyler Eulis, Jamal Murray, and Briscoe. So, you know, they did that two straight years. Um, and I don't even remember who did Hamadou start with Quad. Did, I don't even remember that year. I mean, Quad started half the year and then Shea came on, but I know Knox was on that team and he was kind of a, yeah, a that bigger year. three. He got yeah. traded today, by the way. If he no one did. had seen that. Yeah. He got traded to the Atlanta Hawks today. So maybe of, that'll jumpstart his career. Yeah, I was about to say, I kind of surprised it took this long, honestly. He's kind of yeah. just been there in New York and now he gets an opportunity elsewhere. And I think a change of scenery will be good for him. But you're, you're talking about those three guards and, I think the thing that stands out to me, Ashton Hagens didn't shoot the ball well from outside, and numbers-wise, Tyrese Maxey at Kentucky did not either. It feels like this three-guard attack is different because they can do that thing. And, and you go back a few years, and, and Jamal Murray, Tyler Eulis, they both could stroke it from three, but Isaiah mm-hmm. Briscoe could not. With these three, though, with Ty Ty, Mintz can get hot, Grady, it's different because they actually all three are capable of getting hot and knocking down threes that this three guard attack is significantly different than any other that they've had. It's not the most talented because you got to go back obviously to, to Monk and Fox is the most talented. You got to go Murray and Euless, but as far as being able to spread you out and beat you and still have the, the ability to break you down and get off the bounce, this is a pretty dynamic attack when they put it together. It is. And then, you know, you saw the thing today with Chen talking about how he would oh, want to play yeah. four guards. Uh, do you, do you the, think that that's being talked about, though, since he said it? Do you think that that's at least because him going out and saying that is exactly what the fan base has been wanting to hear? So him saying it, I mean, is, what's Cal thinking about that? Is Cal going back and back, man, I can't believe he said it on radio. Now they're going to be really calling for me to do it. I, I think it may be something that they've looked at or, or talking about given this recent stretch of play and how well Mintz is playing. So you think. They would do that with Wheeler, or do you think when if Sharp plays, that would be the option? That I think that they, I think that you could still look at it with Wheeler. I mean, because if you do it and you have a fourth guy out there, you still got three dudes on the floor that can stretch you out, which then allows Savir Wheeler to have all that room to operate. I think it would work with Wheeler. I really do. I think it would take more offensive creativity than what John Calipari has shown at any point in his career. Now I just have a hard time when we're dribble drive. Yeah. Like they have been running a ton of dribble drive. The the getting downhill and the pitching and all that stuff that early in the game at Vandy, that got a ton of baskets. Even Keon Brooks 
uh, drove out of that, that corner spot and hit Oscar for a dunk there early in the game. Like they, they had been doing more dribble drive, mixing in with their floppy, mixing in with their horn set, their Spain series, everything like that. And that has been encouraging to see. I mean, as long as there's not foul trouble, you have to have two of the three of Washington uh, with their immense on the floor at all times, I think. Uh, just because any other lineup you use, it can it can get bogged down. Um, and and to me, you got to have Ty Ty or Oscar on the floor yeah, at all times, at least one yeah. of them. You can't take both of them off. Yeah, for, and uh, we got a couple of questions I get into substitution and things like that. But uh, we got a question here from our, our buddy, Beasy. Burke uh, down there in Prestonsburg. Thanks where he is. Uh, he said, I've gotten to the point, barring injury, where I actually prefer sharp waiting till next season to play. Our rotation and chemistry looks great right now. Agree or disagree? Uh, I looked at that question. I was going to read it first, but I wanted some time to think about it. Because, <laughs> I mean, the one thing that I think right now, and this, I'm going to go off on two different directions here, and then I will answer that question. I think when Xavier comes back, Derek, let's say he does play against Tennessee, I don't think he should start. And the reason why is I think that they should keep this flow going with this lineup and kind of bring him in slowly. If he's playing well against Tennessee and doing some things, then you can you can stretch it out a little bit longer. But right now, when you're when you're cooking with these ingredients, you don't want to put an ingredient in that's going to throw it off and the batch be not as that doesn't taste as good, right? Like you, and, and I'm not saying that he's going to be a, a, a bad ingredient. I just want to kind of see how they play this and how they handle it because they are playing very good basketball right now. Granted, it has been against teams that aren't very good, mm-hmm. but w- with Sharp, if he comes in and you can add the number one player in 22 to your roster and he's capable of doing some things and you want to look at that depth lineup, like Chin was talking about, and he didn't specifically say Sharp, but if you want to look at it and it, and you, it looks good in practice, and you get an opportunity to see it in a game, then I'm okay if he plays. But I, I do understand the chemistry thing, uh, especially the way that they're playing right now. But I have to keep telling myself, they were pretty efficient offensively in some of those wins with Savir at the point. Like, they've been right there in Ken Palm now for about a month. I think I would uh, – I would still play him if he wants to play and – does he get you like does his talent make the difference in getting you to a final four or not? That's what you have to decide. I thought, yeah, that's what we got to figure out, and we can't say for sure. But if he's on board and he wants to play and he gets himself in shape and you think he can help you, it, he's worth trying out. I mean, Bryce Hopkins just logged 15 minutes in a game against Vanderbilt. So, like, I think there's an opportunity still there for a guy um, if you know for sure he can help you. But I I understand the chemistry things. But like we said, I mean, I think the next time they lose a game and the guard play is not that great, then it'll it'll be right back to calling for him, don't you think? So. and, and Wheeler is going to be in this this awkward spot now where when he does play, if he if he makes a turnover too early or the offense doesn't look as good in the first couple of minutes, then it's going to be, well, we should put Ty-Ty in. That's what we're going to hear. And I, mean, I, I get it. Like, they have played very, very well. I, I want to see how they do against a team that defends the way Tennessee does. We saw right. it against LSU. Now, they had no idea who their point guard was that night. Even when Ty-Ty came in and started running the point, they still hadn't been in that situation. Now that they've had time to practice, they've had two games, that offense will look better if they have to play without Wheeler. 
but it, it's going to be interesting to see how they bring him back in. I, I fully expect that John Calipari would put him back in his starting spot. Uh, injuries and stuff, you don't you don't lose your starting spot due to those things. But when you're doing what they've been doing and you turn on the tape and that that group with those guys and then whoever at the four, whether it's Keon or Jacob Toppin, was plus 45 in those two games versus Georgia and Vanderbilt, shot well over 65% from two and over 50% from three and, and just was so efficient offensively that you kind of don't want to mess with it too much. Even if Savier plays, I think you have to at least look at that lineup together again. Yeah, I'm with you with Savier coming off the bench whenever he comes back. And I'm looking at these questions now. I'm realizing uh, – did we mention we already answered Kenny Ray's question? <laughs> no, he, we didn't, but we did We did talk about yeah. that. And so Kenny Ray, we saw – so this is what Kenny asked. He said, what's the odds on Savier returns that we see a lineup of Oscar, Grady, Mintz, Washington, and Savier, especially if Keon is in foul trouble or needing rest, this would give us more offense. So, well, we discussed that. Now. And and I For, think that – I just want to make it clear what I'm talking about with, with Wheeler. I'm not saying that he shouldn't start. Derek, I just think that you want to ease it back in, and then and maybe if you, if you see that the rhythm is still there, it's like bringing somebody back from an injury that's not played, or it's like we're talking about easing Shaden Sharp into this thing. You're not going to throw him into the starting lineup, but if you, right. if you miss some time, you want to kind of let them get their feet wet. Uh, maybe him watching from the bench, watching a flow of the game, and then going in there and instantly changing it with his on-ball pressure defensively. That that is the one thing about Savir that I think will be easy for him to work his way back in. Because it's going to be, let's say he plays Saturday, it's almost two weeks out of action. But his ability to defend, create havoc, get some easy baskets, some turnovers, hit some people for assist, I think it's easier for a guy like that to work his way back in than it is for a guy to just get hot and start hitting shots. I'm glad Jason asked this question. That's one uh, good talking point. He says, does Hopkins really have the skill set to play the three? Will he be more of a small four next year? Well, I don't know about the second part. I think uh, – you know, I don't think Keon Brooks is an NBA player right now. I don't know if he wants to come back for another year. I think Toppin's going to be back for another year. So I think potentially you could have your two guys who play the majority minutes at the four this season back next year. But that's that's a lot of guesswork um, for a Kentucky basketball roster that we see, you know, changes year to year. But, Sean, if I'm remembering right, didn't Cal flat out say earlier this year when he was asked if Bryce might be better at the four, if that's his best position? And I'm pretty sure Cal agreed that it might be, but the one thing I think you could say, and I know we've talked about Keon's consistency. I don't think there has been a game this season where Toppin and Brooks both played that one of that both of those guys just bombed in the same game. No, I feel like both, I feel like one of those two in a given game has, has given them pretty good minutes and it's not been a total empty spot at the four. So I just think it's tough. Uh, I think you can see Cal really wants to get Hopkins some minutes and the way he's looking at it, and I can't say I disagree, is uh, it's hard to get minutes at the four right now if you have either of those guys playing fairly well. So what does that leave, especially with the guard down? It leaves some spots, some minutes at the three. But I do feel like he's more of a small four. I think that skill set, that's what I was talking about wanting Cal to put him in some better situations. I think if you gave him a few minutes with that trio of Washington, uh, Mintz, and Grady, I, I would be curious to see how Bryce would look in that lineup. But uh, as it is right now, it seems like if he's going to play, if there's no foul trouble, it's going to be at the three. But I think overall, though, Sean, just just getting him minutes right now it seems to be the goal for Cal. It does. And and that's what I was telling you the other night, that it's clear that he's the guy that 
he wants to be able to play out of the, out of those all those other guys that they're trying to work in. I, I know they're trying to force Damian Collins into action at times, but Bryce really doesn't feel forced. It kind of just feels like that's what Cal actually wants to do. And I do think that he has the skill set to be the small ball four. I think he's very strong. Yeah, he's had some turnovers and stuff. Uh, the other night when he went in, he tries to make some plays off the bounce. He can handle the ball. I think that's an area of his game that's going to improve decision-making. But the thing that I like about him is his tenacious ability to go and just get a rebound. Like, how many times do you see him chase down an offensive rebound or a defensive rebound the other night when he's in there? I don't have his final numbers in front of me, but I know for a fact that I saw him do it like three times. I know he chased down an offensive rebound in the corner, and they ended up getting a basket out of it, off a shot that he missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, this kind of ties into the next question. It's from uh... – at 1982 UK grad. Why does Cal mass substitute when we get a lead? Kills us every time. Oh, there's no question whenever he went to the bench against Vanderbilt that it didn't go well. But, and this might not be exactly what, what this question's asking about, but Kentucky was up by 28 at one point. So, like, if you're not going to play your bench, then when are you, right? But um, specific players, like we talked about on the post game, like Collins had a bad night. He couldn't even finish the game out when Cal put him in there. In the second half, he ended up bringing Oscar back in. But the bench was a bit of a disappointment, I guess you could say, a few nights ago. But I don't think it's really been a thing this year, though, do you? Well, I've been a lot of games that guys that the regular starters have played 35 plus minutes. I did I just didn't like the move in the first half where he took and had the lineup of of Damian and Bryce and Toppin. And Mince and Grady. I, I hate that lineup. <laughs> and not anything against those guys. I just don't think they're in a situation to be successful. If you're going to do that, you got to have Oscar on the floor because one, he's a post presence that you can throw the ball to. And he also, when you miss some of those shots, he can he's going to rebound a lot of them and get you some baskets. He requires so much attention defensively. They ran a little flex cut uh, with Davion Mintz off the baseline, and Oscar set that screen and they were trying to get a seal. And it wasn't there. And then Toppin takes a dribble, and Scotty Pippen Jr. had to overhelp to be aware of Sheboy and Mintz buried a three in the corner early in the game. And that, that was all because of Oscar being on the floor and attracting six eyes at one time. When you have to that when you draw that much attention, it makes game easier for other people. And that, that's where I think if you go to one of those lineups, you gotta have Oscar or you gotta have Ty Ty. Because those two right now are their best offensive players in my opinion, and what they're doing. And, and you got to have at least one of them on the floor. And then you can kind of get away with playing a Hopkins for a stretch and a topping together or something like that if you have to. But they took both Oscar and Tata off the floor. We heard John Calipari say this, that Mintz is not a point guard. But I get when you only have one on the roster right now in Tata, you got to play Mintz some, but he puts him out there with no Oscar. And that, that's the stuff that I thought was a little confusing to me. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to point out that I did see uh, Trey's question. Uh, it's another one we, we discussed. Should Wheeler come off the bench when he comes back? Should this momentum of the starting five be disrupted? Um, that's all I'll see in the reply. Sean, do you have some in your direct messages? Yeah, and, and I'm just now looking at these for the first time, so I'm hoping that they're not repetitive. And if they are, I'll still read them. This is from Ezra. Uh, with how good Tata has been playing point and the consistency, consistency of Davion and Grady on the perimeter, should Cal try four-guard lineup when Wheeler gets back with Oscar on the block? So that seems popular, to be – Popular talking to be, point. And, and that's the thing. Like, I, I actually think that if everyone else sees that and is talking about it, we're talking about it. The fans are talking about it. Message boards are talking about it. That doesn't mean that we're all basketball coaches and kind of lobbying that it has to happen. I just think it would kind of be exciting to look at it one time and just see how lethal it actually is. I mean, that group, the play the other night where Vandy scores and the ball is down the floor in Kellen Grady's hands and he had a layup and he fires it cross court to Davion Mintz for a corner three. Like what? Like that was fast basketball. Like that was playing lots out as soon as another team scores, boom, you're running. And it, and I hope that this game doesn't slow down for this team because I think they need to play at that pace. They're more comfortable. They look good at that pace. And I know Cal's going to talk about it at some point. We're going to have to grind a game out and win it. Yeah, but l- l- play fast. Like play as fast as you can, especially Saturday against Tennessee. Play fast. Get some easy buckets. Get in transition. Do some of those things. And, I mean, that's a big advantage of having a center as dominant rebounding as Oscar is. Like, you feel like maybe on a team like this, it's it's maybe not as important to have another 6'8", 6'9", guy out there uh, who is a great rebounder. So, for an, for a few minutes, I think, if you're, if you're willing to try out that four-guard lineup, I think it would be pretty interesting to see. When would you break a lineup like that in, Sean? Would you do it whenever you had a, had a lead, or would you do it in a – depending on the matchup with the other team, just if you were coaching, when would you try that? Obviously the flow of the game would would determine it, but I think somewhere if you're needing a spark, let's say midway through the first half of a game, I'd I'd look at it. Maybe that, that final five or six minutes of a half, just run it out there and see what happens. And, and when you do that, you've been, you've been playing 14, 15 minutes one way. You've been defended that one way. They're, they're having to guard three perimeter guys. But when you throw that fourth guy out there, sure, like these other teams are going to be like, okay, how do you guard me? Like, how are you going to guard me with these four guards? Well, that, that's okay. If I'm going to outscore you and, and put up 80 to 90 points, it's, it's, it's okay. I'll just outscore you. Uh, I just think it would be a good change of pace and would be a, a thing there that it would be hard to defend on the fly. If Kentucky ever does run that out there, whoever it is against, whoever it's against, it, they're kind of in no man's land because one, they've not seen it on tape Two, they've not prepared for it. And I just think that that would be very difficult to prepare for on the fly. Maybe it's a game where you got multiple guys hot. Let's say Mintz goes in off the bench and he hits a couple of threes. You got Grady hot uh, and everybody's playing well. I think that's when you kind of go and look at it and say, all right, we're firing on all cylinders. Now let's just take a look at this for a stretch. Maybe 
a minute or two to see how it is before media timeout. And if it's going well, you, you have confidence to go back to it again. Well said. You got another question there? Yeah, we have another one about Sharp, and I know we've already talked about it, but Ryan says, I could honestly see Sharp playing for this team within the next month. With his size, he could easily play the three for the five to ten minutes per game that Wheeler isn't on the court. Do you think by the end of SEC play we could see a lineup of Ty Ty Mint, Sharp, Grady, and Oscar? This would have striking similarities to the Warriors' famous death lineups they run every year with four guards and one big. It it does, and and I still think that they could run the lineup with with Wheeler. Now, he doesn't shoot it, so it's not that death lineup of, of shooters everywhere, but I still think that there's some value to sticking a fourth guard on the floor with a Xavier Wheeler because then it gets him open space to get to the rim, and it has open just space. For, just for discussion's sake, would you only use the four-guard lineup with Oscar on the floor, or would you be willing to try that with nope. a guy like Keon or not enough size at that point? Or oh, oh, only Oscar. Only Oscar. Yeah. I would only try it for Oscar. And, and the reason being what I said a minute ago, he is getting – right now, turn on the tape in college basketball and show me a guy that is getting better post position than Oscar Sheboy. I don't know if you can find it. And I know Kofi Coburn's great. I know that the, all these other guys in college basketball, these better bigs, I know they're really good and they're skilled. But the way Oscar's working right now, and he's acquiring so much attention on the block, I'm telling you, turn on the tape and watch. Anytime he's involved in ball screen action, now that he's hitting that 15-foot jumper, I mean, it's on tape for a full season now. Derek, he's been hitting that shot. And the, the way he runs to the rim, the, the, the attacking the tagger in ball screen action, and they're getting some open looks out of that. Just because the scouting report at the top of it right now, when you play Kentucky – Oscar Sheboy is probably the first name on the board. And then I honestly think that Kellen Grady is probably the second name on the board because you can't leave him. And those are two guys that if Oscar's there acquiring so much attention, it's just going to give you more options to have open shots for a Mintz, for a Grady, for a Ty Ty. Pick and roll is going to be hard to defend. And if you get some of that middle ball screen action with Ty Ty and Oscar, you got Grady and Mintz and these shooters just over there lined up ready to take a shot at you. And if it's not a shot, they're putting it on the floor and driving and making a play for someone else. That, that That's what Oscar does to this team. I hope that made sense. That does. Let's see if I have anything else here. Right here, different topic. Cameron, what's your prediction on how Kentucky fares over the next five games against the top teams in the SEC and Kansas? I think four wins is most realistic, but five would be a great showing. You and I talked about this last night in text that – did I say four? If they win four of the next five, they're in the talk for a two seed. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe that. Right now, Lenardi, last look I saw, he had him as a four. And I think that's a four without a win other than North Carolina that you really feel good about. So that's the only thing missing is some good wins. you got opportunities here against Auburn on the road. It's going to be a tall task. Uh, you've got Alabama coming up. Yeah, that, that win a month ago would have looked a lot better than it does right now. I know Alabama's not playing their best basketball. But it still it still would qualify as a good win. Saturday against Tennessee would be a good win. Kansas, if they win four of these next five, they are firmly, in my opinion, in the conversation for a two seed. And then how they close, maybe play, play their way into a one with a strong finish in an SEC tournament. I think something to note in this SEC race is if you look for Kentucky, um, Kentucky's, at, as of now, two games left against teams that are not in the top 100 in Ken Palm. That's – Away at South Carolina on February the 8th, 
<clears throat> excuse me, and home against Ole Miss on March the 1st. That's it. Every other team, I mean, they got a bunch of top 25 games, top top 50 games. Uh, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Kansas, Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, Florida, all those games I just said, all against teams that are ranked in the top 50. And then you got one of the surprise teams, at least from what I recall, because I thought they lost their whole team last year, but Texas A&M yeah. is up to 57. That's not going to be an easy game on the road. No, it's a, it's a quad one game on yeah, so for, Wednesday. For Auburn, Sean, they have started with a tougher schedule than Kentucky has in conference play because they played LSU, Florida, and Alabama, all top 40 teams, two of those top 25. They also played South Carolina, but they have six games remaining against teams that are not ranked in the top 100 in Ken Palm. Yeah. And their game, uh, the SEC Big 12 Challenge, is at home against Oklahoma, a game they should win. So I'm, I'm not going to call off the SEC race right now and say it's – I would just say looking at the schedule, Auburn sits – pretty well when it comes to uh, how this thing should shake out but that is a massive game for Kentucky like we're going back to the question I told you last night they need to win one of these road games at they Auburn at Kansas and it could to me Kentucky wins or loses the SEC regular season title over the next two and a half weeks I think between well let's let's go between now and Alabama on February 5th if they can win four, let's see, they have one, two, three, four. They got six league games going through that one. If they go five and one, they're in the conference. They're probably right there with Auburn to win the league, especially if they beat Auburn. If they lose two and one of them's Auburn, then you're you're kind of looking at it like, okay, that's that's a big hole, especially when you don't get Auburn at Rupp Arena. You don't get a chance right. to give them that loss back. Uh, you go on the road to Tennessee. You play Alabama twice. Like that. That's a that's a tough schedule. You do get LSU at Rough, and I think Kentucky will beat LSU at home. But over the next five, I'm going to say Kentucky finds a way to go four and one in the next five. I think they'll win Saturday against Tennessee. I think they'll beat Mississippi State at home. I think they'll win on the road at A and M, and then they'll win one of Auburn or Kansas. And right now. Auburn's the better win, right? Yeah. Yeah, like if you had to pick which one you want to win, you'd always take – I think you'd take the league game, especially when they're ranked number four in the country right now too. But that, that's an opportunity back-to-back Saturdays against two top ten teams. I mean, that's – I think they go four and one the stretch, and then they're in the conversation for a two seed, and we're having a totally different talk about this team if they do that because then they have quality wins. And that's the only thing missing on their resume. I'm going to make the proclamation now, and this might sound really funny, come 3 p.m. Saturday. <laughs> I'm going to say they don't lose a home game the rest of the year. They play Tennessee, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Florida, Alabama, LSU, Mississippi. Like, I think they can win every single game for the rest of the year at home. And if they're going to compete for the SEC title, like, realistically, they're going to need to win every single one of those games. Yep. Because – Historically, they've not done great against Tennessee. Oh, I'll say historically in the last few years uh, against Barnes. They haven't done all that great in Thompson Bowling Arena. Uh, although they have won two in a row. I should say that. They have won two in a row, but it felt like they're for a decent stretch. Kentucky was kind of splitting um, when they would go down, splitting every season for the most part. They would win at home, lose. But uh, I mean, what do you think about that? Tennessee could could beat them at home, if, but Tennessee's going to have to play really well on offense, I think, to beat Kentucky on Saturday. They're a great defensive team, no doubt about it. Probably the best defensive team Kentucky's going to see this year or up to this point outside of LSU. Yeah, but Number two in Ken Palm. 
in yeah. defensive efficiency. LSU not so good though, fifty eighth. Yeah, so. LSU still number one, and and you said it. I think you said get to sixty five, and they can win it. Um, if they get to seventy, I think Kentucky definitely wins it. If Kentucky's efficient offensively Saturday, I think they could beat Tennessee by fifteen points at Rupp Arena. I really do. Well, and, you just look at the points Kentucky has scored at home this season. The fewest amount of points is seventy six against Southern. Well, and so. And here's my thing, and I've, I've had some people talking to me saying, well, Kentucky hasn't beat anyone the stretch. I mean, they beat up on Western. They beat up on North Carolina, uh, Vandy, Georgia. Well, here, here's what I would say. We've seen some teams at Kentucky that struggled with these games because they weren't efficient offensively. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're playing bad teams, but you're still efficient offensively. You're not struggling your way through those games. Early in the season, it was hard to watch – some games in the non-conference at Rupp Arena because they hadn't figured out roles and they hadn't identified what they wanted to do yet. This looks like a completely different team since the Notre Dame game. I throw away LSU because they were on the fly with no point guard. Now, let's face it, they didn't have a point guard. Even when Ty Ty was in there, he had not taken reps enough to really be ready to run that position. They didn't know what they wanted to do. The scouting report was kind of just, and everything, the game plan just wadded up and thrown the trash can and then tried to be built on the fly. Now they, they know what they have and I, I think that that changes the way that they play and if if they're efficient Saturday they're they're going to have a chance to win this game by by 15 I think win it comfortably and I this will be the loudest Rupp Arena has been in a long time mm-hmm. in my opinion it'll, it'll be fun Saturday to be there covering that game and if you have tickets it, it will be a good atmosphere you look at what Tennessee's done in conference at Alabama they scored 68 points which they did not have John Fulkerson or Kennedy Chandler that game should be noted uh, they came back at home against Ole Miss, scored just 66 points in a win in overtime. So it took 66 points uh, in 45 minutes. And then at LSU, they only scored 67. And then the other night in South Carolina, a team that always kind of is mucking it up anyway, they scored 66. Like, to me, you're going to have to get to at least the 70s, I think, to beat this Kentucky team. Uh, Saturday, would you agree with that? I mean – Ken Palm's yeah. got a projected well, score, Kentucky 74, Tennessee 69. I'm not sure Tennessee's going to get to 69 points. And, and what would the conversation be right now nationally had they won at LSU? Like, let's say Xavier doesn't get hurt and Kentucky wins at yeah. LSU and they're on this stretch now. I, I think that that one has kind of changed it a little bit. Because well, they would have Kentucky, lost in over a month if that would have been yeah. the case. And, and Kentucky's still missing that win, right? That's all that this – really, to me, this is one of the most likable teams that John Calipari's had. And they have opportunities the next few weeks to make them and, and kind of just solidify that, in my opinion. If, if this team goes and they beat Tennessee, they go win at Auburn, everyone's going to have a smile on their face, Derek. Or if they go to Kansas and win, that, that's going to be that moment in the season where, the, where this fan base goes, man, this team legit has a shot to go win the whole thing. If they go on a stretch and they play well here in January. I mean, it would be the most impressive road win since when. I mean – Texas Tech, but even that's not the same level of maybe the last time they played Auburn or one one down at all. I mean, I don't. So they wanted Auburn in PJ's year, right? Yeah. PJ and Hero. They wanted Auburn. That that was a road win. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd have to put that one up there. But even then, it's not. I don't. I don't know how. I'm trying to think of how far back we'd have to go to find a win like that. I mean, if if Auburn. I mean, where will Auburn be in the poll when it comes out? 
if they win They're Saturday. They're the number one, right? Yeah. And let's see here what they got coming up. Yeah, they're beating Ole Miss. They're going to beat Georgia. Yeah, there's a, there's a chance that they're number one in the poll. Absolutely. I mean, and then you want either of those games, they, they, to me, and we'll see where they finish. Like, the PJ team had some pretty quality wins on the road. Uh, Louisville was top 25. Auburn was number 11. Florida was 26. But, again, not, not the same deal. But uh, – and and that but th- that would be the moment though that the fans actually think like there's always every time Cal has a really good team, there's always that point in the season where everybody collectively like breathes a sigh of relief and goes, all right, this team can win it, this team can get to a Final Four. Now it, it obviously hasn't worked out that way every year because it's one of the toughest things to do in sports is to win the NCAA tournament, if not the toughest thing to do. But it feels like every time that they have a team that's capable of doing it, there's that moment in the season where you all come together and say that was it. And I still think that this team's missing that moment. You're starting to think that they're a second weekend. I think confident they're a second weekend team. What they do the next couple of weeks could tell you, okay, that's a final weekend team. Yeah, I, I'm with you. You're going to have to win one of those games. That you have to. For me, Auburn or Kansas. So. Yep. And just one of them. You don't got to win both of them. Like you said, win win one and compete and give yourself a chance in the other. Or hell, if you go win if you go win both of them, then you're probably talking you close strong. You do have a chance at a one seed. How many teams in college basketball over their next four Saturdays (laughs) have a schedule as tough as UK's on those days? And and Tennessee at Auburn at Kansas at Alabama. I mean, that's brutal. That's a brutal stretch. This is what John Calipari wanted a decade ago, right? He wanted the league to yeah, get better, and it is certainly better right now. I mean, it's good. Like, it, it is very good. Uh, Missouri beat Alabama last Saturday and then looked like they had never played basketball before last night. And then, <laughs> I mean, what? Like, and, and those teams are capable. And I'm, I'm interested to see what this league does as it goes throughout the season. But the difference is, is you've got NBA talent in this league now. Like, you've got dudes on these rosters at Auburn and Alabama and places in Tennessee that, that are going to be legit NBA players. That used to just be at Kentucky. It's not there anymore. And it, it makes for good basketball. This league has a chance to be the best league in college basketball as the season plays out. And I I think that uh, they're making a strong case for it, honestly. And if Kentucky's at the top of it, then uh, it bodes well going into the NCAA tournament. I do have one final question here, though, from our buddy Shane. Okay. Uh, and we'll wrap it up here. Uh. He said, I'm sold. This team is going to hang number nine. So Shane's already had that moment. <laughs> Derek <laughs> he said, it's obvious what the best lineup with that wheeler on the court has been. And this season's four spot has been play the one who's hot tonight, Toppin or Keon. But let's say both are hot or cold. Who would be the one you think gives team the team the best chance? Man, that's that's a good question. Like who like Keon to me is the more skilled player that can do some stuff. He can hit that mid-range jumper, which has been very, very good. Like, if you chart his attempts on that mid-range jumper, it's probably a very high percentage. He is more capable of stepping out and hitting a three. You saw that on Tuesday. Toppin, really good defender. They both rebound. I would say Keon would probably be the one that gives them a better chance consistently, not in and not out. Jacob, to me, feeds off of energy. And if there's moments in the game where he's able to go get a dunk or a lob or make a play like that, then that's where he really asserts himself. But I I do think that Keon won the experience and things. I think that that kind of – he adds an element that maybe Jacob doesn't add, but it's close. 
I think you see people get frustrated with Keon because he's shown you at times in his career what he can be. Like against Tennessee last year and we're up uh, at Florida his freshman year where he became the go-to guy in that game with quickly out um, and Hagan's out. Uh, not that Hagan's was ever really their go-to offensive threat anyway. But I'm with you. Like Toppin, he has his moments like – but it was kind of a shock that he scored, what, 13, 14 in the first half at LSU? Yeah, especially like, as really, efficient as he was. Yeah, like, you don't really count on that from Toppin. Like, it's great that he provided you that. Um, but I'm with you. Like, Toppin has a role that, to me, if Toppin's giving you offense, it's just like, that. that's great. If, if, I know they lost LSU, but most nights if Toppin's giving you 15 points, you're probably not going to lose, I wouldn't think. So, uh, well, but I'm with you. I still think Keon, like, Keon – it's the third or fourth option, and he's hitting like, hitting that mid-range shot like you talked about, rebounding, doing some good things. Like I think he fits that role really well on a good team. He does, and he, and he has a voice. Like he, he has a voice, and I know Toppin does too, but but Keon, to me too, Keon's a guy who's now been in this program two years and has never stepped foot on a Florida plate NCAA tournament game. The, the first year he had it ripped away from him. Last mm-hmm. year they did, they weren't good enough. That's at some point as this season goes along, Derek, and you get into February, March, and, and it, you're getting closer. That's every – you would think anyone that suits up and plays college basketball, I know the NBA is the ultimate goal, but when you're playing, you want to play in that moment. You've grew up watching that. And I think that that kicks in at some point for Keon. That, okay, now I'm, I've worked for this. It's finally going to happen. I'm, I'm ready to kind of take advantage of it. And he could be a really good glue guy for this team if he kind of, if kind of does those things where – I think Keon knows he's not a star. And I think that's a hard thing to accept for a lot of players, but I think you're seeing him accept it. And the other night when he gets the rebound, he, he gives uh, Doug Shales a high five and then goes over and gives Cal a high five. And, <laughs> and Cal is pumping his fist after he hits 15-footers uh, and making and getting grabbing rebounds. And, and you can see that encouragement. I think Cal is finally saying, all right, that's what I need you to do. That's what makes us good. And then Bryce Hopkins going in and doing what he did there in the second half. Cal was really encouraging for him. Cal does a lot of screaming and yelling, but I think that Cal also feels that there's a couple of guys on this team that you can yell at, but there's a couple of guys you also have to be like, all right, this is what I want. You know, do this, do that. And I think this team's really starting to hit its stride. By the way, Shane just made me a happy man. He said, because of you, I had to try Whataburger finally in a state that has them. Dr. Pepper Milkshake is where it's at. I'm going to tell you my Whataburger story and we'll wrap up. So Nashville – I don't know how long the one in Nashville or outside of Nashville has been open right off of uh, the interstate there. But I saw the sign the other night, Derek. It's after midnight. And I'm like, all right, I'm already getting home at 3.15. But, man, it's Whataburger. I've got to go. And you know my love for Whataburger. So I exit off. I'm going down there. I go to turn into the parking lot. It is so packed, the drive-thru is. There were 40 cars in the drive-thru, and they had people out there flagging traffic. And I said, okay, is it worth it? Because then I'd be getting home at like 5.30. I decided not. For the first time in my life, I chose to do something else other than Whataburger. I settled for McDonald's. And I've been so disappointed. That's kind of crazy that many people were at Whataburger. Yes, at that hour too. Like it's not four in the afternoon or dinner time. It's like 12.15 in the morning. Well, 11.15 central time I, I was in, in my mind I was already telling myself I'm getting home at 3 15 eastern but there were so many people like I it literally I want to know if that store opened up this week because if it did I understand but goodness like I've never seen Whataburger that full 
I mean, yeah, all I think you made people. the right decision for sure. Yeah, uh, all those people definitely uh, were rewarded for waiting in line, though, because I'm sure they got a fantastic meal. <laughs> but you compare that to the one we went to in Alabama over the summer, and there were like four people in there. So uh, we we did not have to wait very long. They need to, they need to be on this podcast as an advertiser, though. Like if Shane went to Whataburger because of me, then obviously something I've said's worked. There you go. So I'm tagging Whataburger in our next post but as always though this show is powered by blue wire pods it's also powered by the butcher's pub three locations palmville williamsburg and london kentucky you can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on facebook he's Derek terry i'm sean smith we'll catch you next time on kentucky daily 